one of the themes of that song is God is unchanging. And I thought how well that fits into a lot of what I want to talk about this morning. Because if that truth, if, if that statement is true, that God is who he says he is or who he has revealed himself to be. And he's not going to change his character. He's going to remain loving, merciful, completely holy. Then eventually everything has to change to be like him or to be in a state that pleases him or satisfies him. So I think that's a neat concept to realize that if God's not going to change, if he's not going to bend to the world's ways or humanity's ways, and sooner or later, humanity is going to bend to his ways. And we see that happen in the book of Revelation. God is unchanging. It's a fight that we will lose if we try to change his character in any way. And that you'll see that that helps us understand a little bit about our message this morning. It's some difficult material, but it's material that needs to be addressed. And I think it needs to be addressed from the pulpit because this is God's world. We're God's people. So we need to hear God's truth. So we are in part five of what I was in, in what I'm entitling um, a beautiful things series. It's where we look at Psalm 100. And, and we just try to wrap our minds around the idea that God creates beautiful things and that the rules and the boundaries, and there's lots of prohibitions, <laughs> granted, in Christianity and in the faith. But they're there to keep God's beautiful things beautiful. They're not there to ruin our lives or to make us miserable. And that's the exact opposite of the message that the world gives. Right, Spuds? My granddaughter's up there making noises. <clears throat> One of the things that um, I wanted to ask is, before I even read the psalm, is uh, rhetorically, do you see God as good? Is God a good God? And rhetorically, you know, you're probably thinking in your heads, absolutely, I see God as a good God. Uh, there might even be people in here that aren't sure if they believe in him or have placed their faith in him totally. But, yeah, if, if he's there, he's a good God. And then the, 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 next, the next question would be then, okay, if you believe God is good, do you believe his ways are good? Because God reveals himself as a good God, but he also reveals himself that all of his laws and all of his design and his plan, that's good too. And the reason I bring that up is because there are people, and I think I see more and more of this happening, that say, yeah, I believe in God and he's awesome. He's a great God. I just don't believe in his policies. I just don't believe everything that's in here that he says. Some of them, uh, I don't think they're right. And in a sense, what, we, what we're doing is contradicting our, our faith or our belief. Yeah, I believe God is good, uh, but he's wrong. In some areas of life. And it's always the areas that are closest to our heart. Or the areas that we just our heart wants. And we want them so badly to be right. We want to get to be able to do this thing. Or, or transgress in this way. And so really what we do is kind of redefine God. And into our own image. And I see more and more of that. We can't separate the being and existence of God from who he has revealed himself to be. They go together 
And so we, even as believers, we have to be careful how we handle God's word and how we look at the world. God is not wrong. He is good. He is beautiful. And he tells us hard things, but it's for our own good because he's unchanging. By his power alone will he conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we will live forever in his kingdom of paradise. So, beautiful things. He doesn't keep good things from us. He keeps good things beautiful. That's God's story, and that is our story. Anything less just is not going to fit reality. So let me read Psalm 100. And again, I want to say that this is an expository message. You're not going to find, I'm going to talk about gender identity. Uh, but you're not going to find that in this verse. But there are just root foundational truths here that if what the psalmist says is true, then it affects every area of our life, including our marriages, including our gender identity, including our sexuality and our choices and and everything else down the road. So here it is, Psalm 100. It's an invitation to the world to praise Him. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So based on these truths, uh, here are some cultural things that we've looked at. I'm using this psalm to address some cultural beliefs that are becoming behavior and habits that are antithetical to the truths in God's word and in this psalm. So we just very briefly, we looked at um, abortion and the personhood theory as opposed to biblical humanity. So uh, the, the Bible says that an embryo is a person with potential. And the world or personhood theory says, uh, actually, that's a potential person. It's uh, Not a person yet, but will soon at some point change from just being a human into a person. This is real stuff. This is these are positions that people take. We looked at uh, biblical sexuality versus the hookup culture and the idea of um, how God created us. He created us body and, and soul and spirit, but we're one sacred unit to God. Our our physical Flesh is important to him and it can be sanctified. Our minds can be sanctified and used to glorify him. Our hearts, our our will, everything about us, we're we're holy and sacred as created in the image of God, exactly as he intended us to be, as opposed to this uh, modern thinking of, of dualism where we say actually the mind... And our thoughts are way higher than the flesh. Our flesh is kind of in the way. And our minds can make our flesh do what... Use them as a servant. Make our flesh do whatever we want it to do. And it doesn't defile the mind. So they see that dualistic view. And these kind of... I hope you're seeing that these ideas ha- affect the way we behave. 
We're seeing it every day. Every time we turn the pages in newspaper or look at the media, we are seeing these root issue ideas affect people's behavior from the youngest to the oldest. We looked at biblical marriage, uh, where the Bible says marriage is, is created by God, it's designed by God, it's a holy covenant that's exclusive between a man and a wife. It's a lifetime covenant relationship for the glory of God. As opposed to more modern thinking that says, well, actually, uh, marriage is more of a social contract where we look for someone who can fulfill our needs and make us a better person. So we enter into this mutual agreement of convenience. And as long as you're helping me fulfill myself, uh, we're tight as ticks. But as soon as I find someone else that can do a better job at that or you're no longer fulfilling me, it's just a, a contract and we can get out of it as easy as we got into it. And then today we're going to look at biblical gender identity versus the modern view of gender identity. And originally I was going to look at um, I think same-sex marriage, uh, homosexuality, and as I as I began to review this message because I actually prepared it a year ago, it's pretty much rewritten. Um, I don't have time to address the other two issues. Gender identity is now way the, the bigger issue in one year's time. Just in one year's time, you know, we we used to think same-sex marriage was a big issue, and now it's gender identity. It's all over the place. It's it's all around us. So I'm just going to focus on that. Um, so I think also gender identity is a, in a little bit of a league of its own because we're not just talking about, say, if, if we say, well, um, homosexuality or, homosex, uh, or same-sex marriage has a lot to do with sexual pro- proclivities or lust. Gender identity is really not about that. This is a root issue about how somebody views themselves. It's not just about lusts of the flesh. It's literally identing, identifying yourself. Some people call it uh, gender dysphoria. And it's, it's a confusing state of mind that we're going to look at this morning. So it's in a league of its own. It goes way deeper than just some kind of attraction. And it's, it's the, the modern view of gender identity is the belief that our minds and our bodies can be at odds with each other. That you, in your head, can be, you are a different person than what your biology reveals, the facts of your biological gender. And that in order, the the, the world's answer to this confusion is to conform your, your body to what your mind views yourself as. That's the answer to the angst and the, and the depression or whatever that this discontinuity produces in our hearts and minds. That's the world's remedy. This is, a, a by the way, an unprecedented way to view ourselves. In, in essence, what we're seeing... And I don't have time to go into this, but what we're seeing is that 
We, we are redefining humanity. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons I chose these particular topics in this Beautiful Things series is I hope you can see these aren't just, uh, are, aren't just cultural fads. This is a new way to define who humanity is and why we're here. It's redefine, we're redefining ourselves, our modern culture, and it is not turning out to be anything like what God says, even in Psalm 100. But there used to be, even in paganism, there used to be a higher authority to appeal to when you made such radical decisions. You say, I say so. There, there would be an oracle or a seer or something, and you'd have this like divine authority to back your decisions. Uh, for the Christian faith, of course, we have God's word. We can say, this is right and this is true. Not because I feel like it is, but because God said it is. And the pagans would say, because the gods says it must be so. We are in an age where we, we are justifying our own radical decisions based on no higher sacred order, based on ourselves. So it's like, I say so. Well, why? Because I say so. This is new territory. Uh, for our culture and humanity. It's unprecedented. So our minds uh, are being recognized as this instrument of tremendous authority where we can even choose our own gender based on feelings, thoughts, and not science. So we I've said this before. To make the statement... I am a woman trapped in a man's body or vice versa. We hear that all the time, and I don't know what your reaction to it is. But whatever it is, it's not enough. <laughs> because if that's true, if, if this could really be true in this world that we live in, that I can be born into this world in the wrong body, then that undoes everything that we have understood to be real about the world and humanity up to this point. Because it's been based on facts, it's been based on science, it's been based on observation. It hasn't been based on what somebody just comes up with in their own heads. So that very statement that you see plastered around as if it's no big deal, changes, really, literally changes the world as we know it. It's how we look at each other. It's how we look at science and biology and how... It all operates. So here's where I want to go this morning. I want to give just a very brief definition of what I would say is biblical, uh, biblically based gender identity. It's a paragraph. Then we're going to look at the modern view of gender identity. And then I want to come back to the biblical view of gender, gender identity and maybe how we might think about it or respond to it. I want to say um, up front that this message is hard for me because um, I'm angry at the people that, that use this ideology that is ruining lives, especially little children's lives. And in my biblical view, I think that's what's happening. I think it's ruining lives, and that makes me very angry. But I don't want to come across that way because this is a real thing in our world. You have... You have people, you have children that go to school and they, and they come home questioning, should I be a boy or a girl? This is 
this is life-altering stuff. And there's a lot of pain that our society can cause in people that are dealing with this. So you, you might hear a little bit of both of that when I, that comes out. But my, my heart is to glorify God in this. So in short, the Christian. How does a Christian see a person in this world? How do we define humanity? What are we looking at when we look at each other? We walk out of here. The Christian sees people, all people. As created by God, all people, as created in the image of God, uh, we see that every person is born in the right body, just as God intended, because God is a purposeful God. He's a wise God, and all of his people are created to glorify him, so he creates them in that way, and so he gives us the, the body that we need. He gives us also his, he reveals himself in his word that gives us his ways. And when we look at these ways and we worship him and serve him and obey these ways, he will not completely, but he can substantially make us whole, satisfy our hearts and make us happy. So obedience to God is the closest thing that we can get to happiness, and his paths show us how to do that. Again, it's not complete wholeness. That's in the world to come, but it is substantial healing to all of the brokenness that we have and that we experience in our world today. So we want to strive to conform every area of our life to the Word of God. So that is what we see when we see each other. That's what's going on in Christian's reality. Well, what are we hearing today? What's the modern view? What are we reading about? You don't have to go far to read about anything that I'm going to share with you in what we see today. Well, we see a worldview that does not see the body and the soul or the mind and the body as one sacred unit that's in harmony, that needs each other and is meant to be that way. Uh, we see a view that holds the mind as being superior and authoritative, and the mind can define the body and what it wants to be, or what the mind feels and thinks. It's very intuitive. It has to do with the, the feelings. It's very intrinsic instead of extrinsic. It's not imposed upon us. So the modern view would say that it is indeed possible for a being or a person to come into this world in the wrong body, wrapped, clothed, wrapped in the wrong flesh. And by their own assessment of truth and reality, they decide what gender they want to be. And the way that they solve this gender dysphoria is to conform the body to what the mind thinks it is, as opposed to conforming the mind to what the body is scientifically or biologically or what many people would say in reality. Okay, so the so we, we change the physical reality to fit the mind instead of working to change the mind to see the physical reality. And so what happens with this modern thinking is that people, because physically they're not the gender they want to be, 
they have to unnaturally, through hormone treatments, through surgeries and so forth, unnaturally change their bodies to match what their minds are. The California Education Code regarding gender says a person's gender identity and gender-related appearance and behavior, whether or not stereotypically associated with the person's assigned sex at birth. So it's they recognize that you are what you think you are in your head, or if you want to just dress as the opposite sex, that's then we recognize you, or if you just want to behave uh, feminine or masculine, we recognize you as that gender. Technically speaking, you don't only really have to change a thing about yourself other than whatever you see yourself as. So never mind what you were assigned at birth, never mind what's on your, your, your birth certificate. You know, the world has, since the beginning of time, had a way to identify gender. And it's scientifically, it's biologically, it, you can observe it and so forth. There's, it's, no, it's not hard to understand or to figure out gender. And so the professionals mark it on your birth certificate what gender you are. That doesn't count anymore in this mode of thinking. Uh, never mind that in today's technology, you can even know your baby's gender months in advance. You, know, you, can, you can see a picture of an ultrasound and figure out we're having a boy or we're having a girl. That doesn't really count. That doesn't matter in today's thinking. That's just a, a physical thing. What's going to matter is what that blob's mind decides to, to look at or how that person being whatever decides to see itself. So there's no authority outside of that. And we live in a society that's making a lot of room for this. We're making a lot of room for people to live this way. Matter of fact, it's a, it's a huge aggressive push to conform everybody's thinking to look at people based on how they see themselves and anything less is an immoral action that you may be punished for. That's what's happening in our society. So 2017, Oregon changed their IDs and their licenses um, to include a non-binary identification. So you don't have to be male. You don't have to be female. You can be non-binary, binary, which means you're, you're one or the other or, or neither. So the states are allowing this kind of thinking to take place. Um, just a month ago, or actually just this month, no, it would have been in June, California is the first state to include a gender-neutral gender checkbox on birth certificates. Uh, the SOGI laws, or sexual or orientation, gender identity laws, are being imposed upon people at all levels. You know, you know this, you read the news, it's being imposed upon people. And it's based on this dualistic level of thinking um, that the body is insignificant. You know, our bodies, in a sense, can betray us. Somehow we wound up in the wrong one. I, I, I hope you are able to see that as sometimes it's, it's portrayed as convincing, but this worldview has so many contradictions. Like... We're also in a era of be yourself, be authentic, be your true self. 
And that is so important in our culture. Not Don't let anybody define you. You be yourself. And yet yourself can actually be something that you're not. And you have to unnatural. Like there's nothing authentic about surgeries and hormone treatments. And I'm, I'm just saying that to point out how false worldviews hit dead ends. They, you can't carry them out in real life. So in our courts today, the, the reality of biology, our chromosomes, look how advanced we are in DNA, DNA now. I mean, it's incredible what we're discovering in DNA about the human body. And yet all of these advancements and all of this scientific data is ignored in favor of the thoughts and the feeling, feelings of one's mind. This is more real than this. That's pretty scary and crazy. As you know, young people are drinking this in. Young people are drinking this ideology in everywhere from kindergarten to grad school and beyond. And our culture is obsessed with teaching this ideology. It's obsessed with teaching this ideology because they are wrongly or they wrongly think that this is liberating. This is helping you. That's why there's this big push. It's believing what I would consider believing a lie. So obsessor physical body is not a part of the authentic self. You get to choose your authentic self. Now, in real life, how do we know what gender you are? It's in every cell. It's in every cell. You go to the hospital. You go to the doctor. In real life, they know this. In real life, they're going to treat you. You get, you get the best medical treatment possible or offered to humanity by being treated as the gender that you biologically or physically are. Uh, when there's organ transplants, that's what they do. If you're, if you're a female, you get female organs. Male, you get... Why? Because it's a greater success rate. So in reality, we, it's like we know this. But when we get to this other ideology, we have to forfeit everything we know is true and jump into this world of feelings. Jump into a make-believe fantasy world. And our culture calls this ability to change your gender. It's, it's, uh, it's liberating. You are freeing yourself from the bonds of yourself, of your body. You're freeing yourself from the bonds that are imposed upon you through society. And therefore, we have all kinds of different labels now <clears throat> for gender. Well, if... If gender is fluid, that is, you can be everything or nothing, then you can be a lot of things. So just a few we have um, bi-gender, be both. You can be pan-gender, gender fluid, queer gender. There's just like, there's an endless, you know, there's an endless supply of identities that you can take on based on your thinking and your mind. And there's, there's government pressure to understand life or identity in this way. In a sense, we're being, um, it's thing, this kind of conformity to thinking is being written into law. There are groups out there today that have checklists of their ideas of equality and how people ought to be treated. And they'll look at businesses and companies 
to see where they stand on their ideology. And if you don't match how you treat people, how you look at people, you can be you can be focused on and and kind of canceled or brought out. And it can have and does have devastating financial consequences if you fail to conform to this ideology. There's like checklists out there. It's very, very aggressive. So what is needed to be officially transgender? Well, in the end, nothing but your choice. So if you say, well, if it's so important and this is being pushed upon us, how do we know when, when you've made it? How do you know when you've crossed over or you're going to be identified? What credentials do I need? Do I have to have a mark or what? a doctor's note? What does it take to be officially transgendered? Well, in the end, really nothing but your choice. You don't need a doctor's note. Uh, you don't need a, a record of surgery. You don't need a record of hormone therapy. You don't need to go to a lawyer and get some kind of legal document that you can take anywhere. It's just the way it stands now. It is personal choice. Our personal choices have gained so much respect in our society that it we can define ourselves and our culture kind of has to agree or suffer the consequences. So you, you've heard a lot about perhaps Jack Phillips in Colorado. He's, he was sued. He was a, a cake maker, wedding cake maker. He's been in the news, I know, for, for many years now. The poor guy has been sued so many times. Uh, a same-sex couple wanted him to make a cake for their wedding. He said, based on my convictions, I cannot do that. But there, I'm going to give you the names and numbers of other cake shops that would be glad to offer you this service. Uh, nobody's losing any money. They can still get the service that they want. That was not good enough. Why? Because Jack Phillips was not viewing this couple in their minds as they want to be viewed, and that's a violation. It's not acceptable for us to agree to disagree or for you to go somewhere else, and we can live in harmony that way. There's the pressure that says, no, you have to look at me the way I want to be looked at Otherwise, you will hurt my feelings, and that is not good for my well-being. This is, this is the bottom line. Now, you can imagine, if it doesn't stop here, where can this go? That's how it is. So, the, the, there's a lot of court cases in this. It's not, <clears throat> we're not allowed to have our own thoughts and convictions. Those things are, are slipping away from us. Uh, the sex education courses in public school says gender identity refers to a person's internal sense of being male. That's it. It's just your internal sense or female. It's your internal sense. That's the authority right there. And don't let the parents get in the way. There are schools where kids go to these schools and they will not tell the parents how the kids identify themselves at school. It's like a private place. It's a no parent zone. They're not going to say, actually, your son identifies as a girl when he goes to school. So one parent said, as a parent living the nightmare of having a teen who suddenly announces she's transgender. I can tell you there are no doctors who will do anything but agree. There are no, there's no science behind this. There's no way to medically diagnose her. 
three of her closest friends have already had full transition paid for by their parents. So it's difficult for her to understand why we won't do the same. It's no different than having your child captured by a cult. So his daughter was swept away by what some would say it's not always a gender identity. It's actually a, can be a cultural fad. Like girls get together, let's go to the mall and get our ears pierced this weekend together. Have that experience. Let's get together and have transgender surgery. Uh, when I was preparing this sermon last year, I was treated to this headline. It was in January, March last year. So Virginia is outlawing the, the discredited practice of conversion therapy for LGBTQ children. And Northam, uh, pediatric neurologist, neurologist, said he was proud to sign the bill into law. No one, I quote, should be made to feel they are not okay the way they are, especially not a child. Now, that sounds powerful. Who wants to hurt a child's feelings? Nobody wants to hurt a child's feelings. But what he's saying is what that child's feelings feel, whether it's right or wrong, is right. Because they feel it. And if you hurt them and tell them their thinking is off, well, you got something coming. This law, and it was supposed to go into effect July 1st. I don't know if it is. I tried to Google it. And I have no idea what happened. Maybe it's on purpose that there's no headlines about it. So it's supposed to already be in effect. Anyway, it basically says, you, if you're a professional counselor, you cannot take a person who's struggling with their gender identity and try to conform them or convert them back into a boy that they were born into. That's damaging. You have to just let them go. This is a law here. So that you see these expectations here. You know, is this, is this freeing people? Is this what's really best for people that have these internal struggles? We have to decide this. I know I can stand up here and preach, but you're going to run into this. This is our world that we live in. And so we have to make decisions. What is best for humanity and how do we make those decisions? How do I love a child? How do I keep from hurting a child's feelings? And what's the tension between both of these? We have to wrestle with this stuff because we are God's vice regents in the world. We're the salt and the light. It's not all good. You don't hear a lot of negative things. World Magazine reported um, May of this year. The title, Concerns Grow Internationally About Dangerous Transgender Treatments. But the U.S. medical establishment charges on. But what, what is happening? You mean they're actually reporting on bad consequences of living out this ideology? So the article goes on to say, Trans Train, a 2019 Swedish documentary, introduces viewers to a woman named Samedi. She says she feels like the result of an experiment. Samedi is a detransitioned woman who regrets irreversible hormone treatments and sex change surgeries that she underwent for gender dysphoria. Now, she speaks with a deep voice. She covers her receding hairline as she expresses remorse over the drugs and surgery she thought would fix her. And in this trans-trained documentary, doctors at Sweden's biggest gender identity center 
Karolinska University Hospital in Stockholm acknowledge a huge surge of referrals for young girls with gender dysphoria. Uh, they administer treatments including puberty blockers, testosterone, mastectomies, and other sex change procedures to girls as young as 14, despite severe underlying psychiatric issues and a lack of scientific evidence supporting these medical interventions. In other words, they're acknowledging that the people that come to them have deep pain issues, mental issues, psychiatric issues, and they also acknowledge, you know, really, if, if, you, if you drag me to the line, this is not scientifically verified, and yet they do the surgeries anyway. It's the, ideolo it's the ideology. So, um, anyway, they started to recognize, uh-oh, we may not be doing the right thing here. We may be ruining lives. And people that had had the surgeries were coming back to them and letting them know, basically, this did not fix me. Now I am even more messed up. Fortunately, they begin to come to their senses, and it is not as easy this day and age to get transgender surgery at this place. And other world powers and countries are starting to see this as well. Like, oh, yeah, the science isn't backing this. Maybe we stepped out too soon, which is a great thing. But the article goes on to say, so they're smelling a fish, but the article goes on to say, despite worldwide scrutiny over transgender interventions, multiple doctors I spoke with said the debate in the United States remains highly politicized and driven by ideology rather than evidence-based science. <clears throat> uh, they, they strongly caution approaches, these approaches, in these other worlds, but here in the United States, we're told if we don't provide these treatments, we're violating a patient's civil rights. And it closes with Samedi saying, um, they admitted they made a mistake, the, the Surgery Institute. That's great start. But she says, uh, I regret, regret was not supposed to happen. My problem still exists. And these surgeries and everything, they're irreversible. So there's this big push, but in real life, slow down and think about, is this really the way to go? Is this liberating people? Is this helping people? Or is this just somebody else's ideology that wants to pose as some kind of authority about humanity? There's so many inconsistencies in this. We're also in the hashtag Me Too era where women had to... Uh, demonstrate tremendous bravery and courage and come out with stories of abuse. And you, you heard story after her story. Some of it got out of hand, but a lot of it is true and it's real and there needs to be change. And there was a rally around women saying we want to be respected for who we are. We, we, won't wanna, we don't want to have to change ourselves. You need to love us for who we are as a woman. And then at the same time, so that's hailed by our culture. And then you have women that are not so proud of themselves and don't like themselves for who they are and change over to, to men. And then that's hailed as a heroic thing to do. There's so many inconsistencies in this that I hope that we see. So, And, you know, the sad thing is in the end, the females seem to always get the short end of the stick. If you look at through the, these ideologies and you carry them out, you'll see the females get the short end of the stick. Just this week, maybe you read it too on uh, NPR, New Zealand weightlifter will be the first openly trans competitor at the Olympics. A man, she transgendered to a woman. You can see the pictures like she's this tall and the competition is this tall. 
Um, it's, a, it's a sad thing to me. So this ideology works its way into sports. You probably already know this. Records are being broken by who? By former men who decided to be women and then enter into women's contests and they're breaking the records that the women had set. How does that respect women? What does that do to a female that has trained their whole life with what they were given, what they were born with, and they overcame all these obstacles, and then some guy says, I'm a girl, and comes in there and just, you know, what? what? This is our world? What, what if that's your daughter? What if that's your son? In the Olympics, you know, then in order to make this law, you got to come up with rules and stuff to try to make it a, a, a square block fit in a round hole. So they... They come up with testosterone tests if you have a certain amount of levels. Then you can compete as a woman. That doesn't work. Ironically, there are no tests for women to compete as men. What? You mean you can just decide you're a man and compete as a man in the Olympics? But it gives the other gender an unfair advantage if they have too t- much tester- testosterone? Like, you mean there might be a difference, you think? You think it might be a little unfair? What? I don't get it. I I cannot even believe some of the decisions that I'm seeing that are made. This does not help us. This hurts us. It confuses us. No wonder children don't understand the basic things of life anymore. So grateful for... uh, Building on the rock or on a firm foundation, VBS teaching. I'll make a plug here. Did a great job. It was, um, it was really incredible to watch because the kids were so excited. And the youth owned it. They jumped in there and they owned all of their roles and responsibilities. And you had the best case scenario because you had these kids looking up to the teenagers who your role models, whether you realize it or not, and what you do, they want to do. So they had the best case scenario where this ministry was taking place with the kids. The youth did a great job. It was like the perfect combination. It wasn't too complex. But it was the, the teaching went strong. The crafts went strong. The games, it all reinforced the message. So great job, Jade Moss. Where did you get those leadership skills? I'm going to have to come up with some kind of contract and put your name on it and lock you in for life to serve here at the church. Because that's what happens when uh, you sign up for something in our church is you're a lifer. Isn't that right, Corky? Amen. <clears throat> great job, youth. You guys did wonderful. And kids, great job. little competition, but it was friendly. Some male-female competition, actually. If you want to see the difference between girls and boys, come to VBS. There's just a difference. They, they think different. They act different. And it's good. It's a good thing. We need that. It's how God created it to be. So, weightlifters and Olympics. Yeah, so, how can we fight for women's rights? You know, when, when, when we don't even know what a woman is. We can't define womanhood in our, our culture. We can't define personhood in our culture we can't define freedom in our culture so how can this even be liberating when the new normal is there is no normal these are setbacks 
And it doesn't set people free. I think it just causes more bondage. It's a rabbit trail that's destructive. You know, if it was the answer, I'd be behind it. It's not. It's not good. And I say that based on the authority of the Bible, not my feelings, not my thoughts. So what's the biblical view of the gender identity? You know, a lot of people, by the way, stories are coming out now of transgender and they're, they're horrific stories. It's not a good thing. People are starting to get brave enough to be countercultural and say, oh, this isn't working. I really messed up my life. This, by the way, there's, you're starting to see those. So what's the biblical view? This is what I'll close with. What does a Christian see? If we see a little boy in a dress or vice versa. First of all, I think our response um, should be first compassion. We're Christians. Don't think they're in a person with gender dysphoria. Don't think they're in a league of their own humanity. They're not. This is us. We have similar struggles. We know what it's like to wrestle with things that we don't like about ourselves. We know what it's like for others to make fun of us or or bully us for our faith or even just for the way we were born. We know what it's like to have thoughts of uh, why was I born so short or why am I not smarter? Why is everybody in my class smarter than I am? Why can't I do this thing? We know what it's like. There are real life struggles. This is not alien to us. We know what it's like to not be in harmony because ever since the fall of man, our, our psychology, our hearts and our minds are not in perfect harmony. We're at odds with ourselves. Sometimes we are our worst enemy. That's why I think that a culture that says you what you feel and think in your head is the final authority and we need to rally around you is extremely dangerous. When the Bible says that's the last thing you want to do is stand alone and not bring in the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of the cultures and, of course, the reality of the sacred. So we need to be compassionate. These are real struggles that people have. And rather than just giving a look of disgust, you know, we know what it's like to feel like we're in the wrong place or maybe born into the wrong family or I'm at the wrong school. And we have difficulty sorting out our emotions, too. Sometimes we feel wrongly about things that, that are obviously right or obviously wrong. We root for the wrong team, if not just in our hearts sometimes. We also try to satisfy the emptiness of our hearts in wrong and destructive ways. We reach and grab for whatever is out there in different areas of our lives. So we need to think compassionately. And we understand how choices can ruin our lives. As we've made some bad choices, perhaps some of us as well. So if given the chance, we should be compassion, understand the human heart, understand the nature, love the person. Don't look at it as a, 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 these people that are struggling as you're not even human. You're not in my world. What are you? They need our help. They need our love. They need our compassion. We should not, we can identify with these things. Second, uh, the Christian application or understanding biologically. 
So our understanding of the world and humanity is that uh, everything God creates, it's good. He says so in his word. It's good. It's created for a distinct purpose. This includes male and female. Genesis 3, he created them male and female. That's binary. There are two sexes. They're both equal in value. They have distinct purposes in ways that they can glorify God. He made them that way on purpose. And it's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's good. Equal, purposely distinct. They were never, the two sexes were never intended to be exactly the same way or to operate the same way. The world literally needs, society, culture needs male and female to be male and female and to operate according to how God created them. Or we are shorting ourselves of God's great gift. Sometimes our abilities, of course, overlap. There are things that we can do equally well. But biology is real. Science is real. Facts are real, observable things. So a Christian would look at this situation or somebody struggling, and we would not say, well, you need to conform. The problem is your body, which is what modern thinking says. We would say, listen, I think I see what's going on here. The problem is your thoughts. And I can relate with bad thoughts. I can relate with thoughts that don't seem to agree with the reality. But let me help you with your thought life so that you can find peace and rest for your soul. So let, rather than, than, than unauthentically changing your physical form to match your mind, let's try to help your mind match the body that God gave you. Because that's where the wholeness and the peace and the harmony will come. That's the source of the discord. Of course, when we talk about gender ideology or identity as Christians, we also have to be careful that we don't make these stark camps of this is exactly what it means to be a male, the John Wayne model. This is exactly what it means to be a female because there are tender, compassionate males. There are relational males. God is more complex than that. So we don't just just to make it easy on ourselves. We can't pigeonhole people. Okay, that you're going to find different characteristics. There are some tough women out there. All right. I would not want to cross them. But they know they're women. You see, that's the difference. And you, as long as you know your gender, your, your gender and you recognize that as real and true, then you operate within that. So that is uh, masculinity, femininity, it's a broad thing there. And we want to look at the motive, look at the heart and understand the person. At the same time, if somebody is not embracing their God-given gender, if given the chance, we would want to begin to point out the very obvious and evident truths to help that person. And by the way, as Christians... One of the best things we can do in this culture is to model femininity, biblical femininity and biblical masculinity. Model it. People need to see it in action. Then lastly, the gospel. So the Christian worldview is that anyone outside of gospel living needs the gospel. That's all of us. Doesn't matter what proclivities we have, what thoughts we have. We all need the gospel. All of God's truths are beautiful. They are good 
when we apply these to our lives, they make us whole substantially. Better, closer, more fulfilled. We are living testimonies of this. They bring healing to our souls. They, they open our eyes and give us understanding to what the world is really all of about. And so we don't want to turn our hearts in disgust at people that are struggling with even the deepest, rudest things that ground us in our humanity or what the world is all about, but to show love and compassion and to offer hope. There is a way, there is a cure, there is a remedy, and it's Jesus Christ. It's God revealed in humanity through the person of Jesus Christ. Get to know Him. He has the answers. He has the cordial. He has the remedy. Life is hard. It might stay hard. But when you have Christ, you have all that you need. And bring them hope. How God can turn a world of ashes into a beautiful world. So in short, the Christian sees a person as one of God's created children. Born in the right body, just as God intended. And that God has a plan to mend their brokenness. And make his truths and his person and his presence evident to him, to them. He is real and his truths are real. And he invites us to adore him. He invites us to live before him with our bodies and our minds. So he doesn't keep good things from us. He keeps good things good. So the simple truths of this psalm have the potential, I would say, to set captives free. The truths of this psalm set me free when I was lost, when I was blind to the ways of God. And at the right time, it's these truths that will help help people find their self, their meaning, and their purpose. And it is these truths that need to be proclaimed to the world in joy. And in gladness, God makes beautiful things. Will you invite the world to know God? And will you make him known? May God bless the preaching of his word.